Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In this episode, I'm going to do a deep deep dive. Like <laughs> you need to buckle up. Uh, it's going to be a while. This is going to be a long episode and I'm going to talk about two images that I've created recently. I talked about them a little on the master photography podcast, but don't skip the episode just because of that. I hope you'll give it a chance. I hope you didn't just see the title and think I've already heard this because I'm going to go into like decision-making points in so much more detail than I did on the master photography episode. Um, we talked about five images in space of like 45 minutes and I'm going to take, I'm guessing an hour to talk through the decision-making that went to, into, you know, the creation of two images, but it's really just the one final image that I wanted to get to. And I'm really excited to go through that. I, I think it's, it's an important thing for me to share as part of my journey. And, and I mean, some of you listening are going to say, well, look at how an imperfect a photographer he is. He had such a struggle to get to settings and such a struggle to create the images. And if that's what you take away from it, okay, that's fine. But I'm hoping what it can do is encourage you because I think a lot of you feel the same way. Like you struggle, even though you may be doing this for a while or you're just starting, you struggle with like, well, what setting should I use? What, what should I be positioning? What makes a good photo? How do I, how do I emulate some of these people I've seen online? And I'm hoping I can kind of give you an example of like, I think it's a struggle for everyone still, no matter how long they've been shooting your environment, the the specific scene, the specific thing you're doing unless you're in a fixed studio where you are controlling every single variable, <laughs> even then, I think things come up. So let, let's get started. Let's get into this episode of how it is that I created a picture of a full moon that looks a lot more like a sunrise than a moonrise. And that's uh, because of some special conditions, the smoke from fires that we've had here in Utah um, through the summer and, and into when I was shooting early August 2020. I'm going to start, though, with at the creative vision. Um, as, as I have more and more experience with photography, the, the ingredient that matters the most in the recipe to create a compelling image, an image that you are so proud of, an image that is worth posting on social media as an example of your photography or a portfolio piece that demonstrates your work that you can have on your website to advertise your services as a photographer the the ingredient the single biggest ingredient i think is having a creative vision for the image you want to create the image you want are going to produce that when the few times and i haven't done this a ton like from the beginning i have a creative vision and i go from there into planning and then into the tools i'm going to need and how i'm going to shoot it and everything comes from the creative vision i've only done it a handful of times but when I have the likelihood that I'm going to come out of that with at least one like portfolio level shot goes up dramatically, dramatically increases the opportunity for that to happen. Doesn't guarantee it. 
I still screw things up, as you're going to see as I get into this episode. Uh, I'm not. I'm far from a perfect photographer. I still have a lot to learn. And the approach I took, I'm sure as you're listening, some of you are going to say, what are you doing, you dummy? <laughs> Why did you do that? Um, but I'm, I'm going to try to explain my thought process along the way. I want you to, uh, to take away from this episode that uh, trying to come to a shoot with a creative vision. And it's not, I'm, I'm the first to admit, I don't always go into a shoot with a creative vision in my head. That's impractical, I think. I, I doubt the professional photographers who do this 100% full-time do that either. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do. Maybe that's why they are professional photographers and making a full-time living at doing it because they start with that for every single shoot. They start with a creative vision. But I know I don't. So sometimes that creative vision has to come as I'm shooting. And I try to do that as I'm shooting now. And that's only because I've got my skills developed to the point where I can think through settings, I can think through what I'm shooting and create good images, but maybe not really compelling, interesting, unique, super creative images, but I can create good images, good enough for clients to be super happy with the work. Um, without having to spend an insane amount of time thinking about it. Now, that wasn't always the case. When I was first starting, that was a challenge. And for some of you listening, if that's still a challenge, it's okay that that's a challenge. Like when you're getting going, this is not an art that's easy to do. Painting and sculpting and some other arts are challenging in their own ways, but usually it doesn't entail a whole bunch of technology. With photography, we have to like merge together those two things. <laughs> it's hard. It's challenging. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of variables to consider. It's it's a tough thing. So don't get down on yourself too hard if all you can do while you're shooting is be spending, fo- you know, an insane amount of time focusing on focusing, not the focus of your scene, but like constrained effort to think about the settings that you're using and how you can make sure you do what you can to, to produce good images. Um, it'll come as you keep practicing, as you keep working on it, it will come to where you don't have to spend as much time on that. And you can actually think about like, what can I add to this photo? What can I add to this scene? What can I add that's going to maybe make this, take it up a notch to make it more creative, make it, what can I try? Maybe even if it doesn't work, what, what should I do that maybe pushes the boundaries a little and tries something I haven't done before, the model hasn't done before, or whatever you can add to the image. That's what went into these shots. And it's kind of a mixture between the two. Like I said, sometimes I I try to think about it during a shoot and come up with a creative vision of something to try in the shoot. Um, it's even better if I can have a creative vision before I'm even at the shoot. And like I'm planning and designing and, and thinking about a shot I want to create with the tools I have available to me. Um, that even increases the likelihood that I'm going to come away with something good. But in this case, I actually started off not even planning to do a shoot and it had to be totally reactionary. So let's start there and build into what happened. And there's a second attempt and we're going to get into kind of a whole lot of thought process there. I'm going to start though with talking about shooting the moon and the image that I have created here is a lot more than just shooting the moon. And I don't say just shooting the moon lightly because it's the moon's a challenging subject. <laughs> it really is. As photos go, it's a, a 
kind of difficult thing to be able to do a good job with. And it's an excellent exercise. If you are on the beginning end of your photography journey, it's an excellent exercise to take on. If you haven't done it, I mean, it seems really natural for some reason. I know it was for me, and I think it is for a lot of other photographers to take that on as a subject, something that you want to shoot. And it's a real thrill the first time that you get that moon frozen in space and you have details on the moon. It's not a bright bulb of light. Um, it's really exciting and, and it's fun and it's challenging. You have to get a tripod involved. You got to get a longer focal length. You got to figure out some settings that can freeze that moon and, and stop down. It, it, it's, it's a challenge. But I've done it a lot now. <laughs> I've honestly done it enough where... A shot of the moon with nothing but black around it is not compelling to me anymore. It's not even something I want to spend any time on. There's other things I will do besides that. I have my fill of those kinds of shots. I have an example in the show notes that you can see uh, have the settings, but they're kind of irrelevant because it's it's changing depending on like the phase of the moon and the surrounding environment you're in. And, you know, those settings aren't always going to work, but, you know, you could dial it in. It gives you kind of a starting point. You can do it. So I, I, I've had my fill of the moon. Again, I don't want to downplay it. Like if you've not done it, it probably will stretch you. It probably will be challenging and you should go do it. You should totally go and make sure you get your shot of the moon because you learn so much doing it. Even if you're not a landscape photographer, um, go, go give it a try. I really recommend trying things that you haven't done. But when a neighbor texted me, my neighbors, I love my neighbors. I have such great neighbors where I live and they, um, they look out for me. A lot of them know how much I love shooting the outdoors. I love shooting mother nature doing her thing. And, uh, whenever they see mother nature doing her thing, they'll text me. And sometimes I'm already out there. <laughs> like I already noticed, I already saw mother nature doing her thing and I'm on it, but I really appreciate that they let me know. And in this case, I had no idea mother nature was doing her thing that night. I was not planning to go and do a photo shoot, which is a problem right off the bat because it meant, I wasn't fully prepped for this. Like my camera wasn't out. Um, I had to get a battery. There was a lot of that led to it, but I got a text from the neighbor and the text just said, moon sure looks cool tonight. And my first reaction was I've had my fill of the moon, <laughs> right? I've just talked about like, I've taken a lot of shots of the moon. I've been really happy with where I got. The only thing that I really would like to do more is if I could get my hands on like much longer focal lengths. That would be exciting. I'd probably want to again take like just a shot of the moon itself if I could get my hands on like a 600 millimeter lens or, you know, something like that. It would be really fun to get a much more detailed, closer shot of the moon. I've seen them, but I'd love to have my own. That would be fun. I don't have access to anything like that. So I've never done it. That would also get me going. But so when I got this text, I thought, yeah, it's the moon. <laughs> I don't have any cool gear uh, to try. I've already got my fill of this, but they took the time to send me the text. They said it looks cool. They kind of know I've already shot the moon a lot. So it must be worth at least stepping out my door and looking. I'm, I can't be that lazy. <laughs> so I stepped out my back deck which is where I knew the moon would be that night. And yeah, it was different. It was different. All those fires 
kind of turned it an orange and it's almost full. I think it would had passed full a couple of nights earlier and we we're on the way back towards new, but not very far. It's still, you know, 99% or 98. What's it was, it was still very much a full moon. And, uh, and because it looked a little orange, I thought I, I have had like forest fire moons before, but it's worth it's worth trying again. I don't have a ton of those. Maybe I can't. And and what I did have was like a close up of it with an orange, which is not that big a deal. Like you could fake that in Photoshop, no problem. But this could be different if I could include a foreground. I'm super fortunate to live in an area where there's foregrounds right around my house. I live in the foothills of a mountain. And so there are mountain foothills all around me. And there's evidence of city life here too. We, we definitely built a whole lot of houses and apartments and city into these hills, but it's pretty easy to remove some of that in Photoshop. It's also really possible to frame things up sometimes so that you can get a good foreground with the moon, which is another example I have in the show notes. I have another shot that I took a, a couple of years ago where I had actually planned on taking this image. It was a super moon and I'm kind of over super moons too, to be honest, because they're really not that different from any other full moon. Um, you know, there, there tends to be this hype about them and like, oh, you need to get out there and see it. It's a super moon. It's the biggest the moon's going to look in a long time. And and they're not that much bigger than normal, <laughs> really. Uh, I mean, it's it's good if it gets you out. If if shooting a super moon, if you haven't done that, you have got other shots of the moon. Totally worth giving that another try. Get out there another time for sure. But uh, I I was and it got me out there to take the the image that I'm talking about that's in the show notes. And so for for you that aren't seeing it right now, it's it's a moon that has a foreground in it, a really well lit foreground actually. And um, I have the big Rocky Mountains that the moon is just barely coming over. Like the the very bottom part of the moon is still covered by the mountains. And then I have some of the Salt Lake Valley that's behind this bridge. I was standing on a bridge and I totally planned this shot out. I'm not going into the details of that shot. I've already done that episode. But um, that's the kind of thing that really gets me going now is if I can do something compelling in a foreground with the moon, yeah, totally want to take that shot. And with the moon being orange right now and the the environment being different, I thought, okay, this is worth this is worth some time tonight. I hadn't planned on it, but I'm going to go shoot the moon. So I rushed down to my basement. I grabbed my camera, grabbed a tripod, had to change the battery. I had to get everything ready. And I gr- I ran out to my back deck. I didn't think like I I didn't think I had a lot of time here. And and I knew going into it I knew there was going to be kind of three problems with this impromptu reactionary shoot. First problem is the timing. I really want to get foreground images with the moon now. I'm not super interested in just the moon by itself. I want foreground elements. I want something framing the moon. And, and having the moon be a featured component, but having it be compositionally like interesting with other things in the scene. And so the moon had already risen a lot that night. My neighbor was very kind to text me when they did, but it was too late to get the moon. It wasn't rising over the mountain peaks. 
and it might have been when they texted me, but it took me too long to get out there. And uh, and it, it was way up high in the sky. So the timing was absolutely a problem. It was going to be hard to create a nice composition with the moon and a foreground, given how far it had already risen. The second thing was just the time of year and how it works with the sunset and everything. It was already well into the evening. Um, it was past civil twilight, which is like blue hour, and nautical twilight had passed both of those. It was definitely in the astronomical twilight. It's dead of night. It's like super, super dark outside. And so the dynamic range of the scene, it was going to be impossible to get this with one shot. Dynamic range, for listeners who may not know, that's the difference between the brightest bright how the moon and the darkest dark, which is most of the foreground in the sky around the moon and getting it so that your camera can capture all of that in a single shot and still have detail in the highlights and the shadows. It's impossible probably for any camera right now with how far apart those two things were in the scene that night as I'm taking this impromptu shot. So I know I'm going to have to take two shots, not a big deal. I've done this before. I'll be able to blend them together, solve that problem. The third one is focus isn't going to work. Now, I didn't really know this going into it. I knew the first two were going to be there, but um, it was too dark for focus to work. I wanted to focus on this this foothill that was in front of me and uh, and then make sure I had a an aperture that supported a depth of field big enough to make sure that that foothill and the moon would be in good, sharp focus. And it, it wouldn't lock. I couldn't get exposure or, or focus lock. So that means I'm going to have to focus on the moon and hope that I have enough um, hyperfocal distance and aperture to cover that. And um, and so that's a third problem that I'm, I'm facing there. I can use the moon to get focus, but I can't use the foreground to get focus, which would be better. That, that would give me better assurance that I'm going to have this work. All right. So those are the problems I know I have to overcome as I'm doing this impromptu shot. Now I'm going to walk through my decision-making process <laughs> and, and I didn't do it right. I'm going to say right up front, I made mistakes here, but I'm going to walk through those mistakes because I, I really want to illustrate that it doesn't matter how much experience you get. I think you still make mistakes. I think even those pros that spend like full time doing this, they make mistakes and maybe not as many as I do, um, but they still make mistakes. And I think there's value in like being vulnerable to all of you listeners. Like I'm going to walk through, I made some mistakes here <laughs> and I hope you take it as a, a good thing, a positive thing. Like he can do it. He can end up with images that are good. That means I can do it too. I, I hope that's what, what you get out of it. As long as you start with a creative vision, that, that will help guarantee it a lot more. Okay, so I always start my thought process for an exposure with aperture. That, to me, is the place to start. And there's arguments to say maybe shutter speed, but I always start here. I, I, I have a process I've just created that works for me. It may not for you, but for me... I always start at aperture. And so I decide what I'm going to do there. And sometimes I decide the aperture because I know what I'm a little bit about what I'm going to do with shutter speed. But I, I always try to decide on my aperture first. And in this case, 
I have a landscape scene that I need to get in focus. And I already mentioned hyperfocal distance. If you don't know what that is, go check out. I'll have a link in the show notes to hyperfocal distance. It's another photo taco episode I've done where I give all the details about it. So I'm not going to go into it here. I'm already going to have enough time on this episode. So go check that out. It's another episode on the topic. Um, I'm going to rely on my experience then. This moon, I'm already timing is already a problem. And that moon is only rising higher every second that goes by. I don't think it's reached its apex. So I want to try to capture it as I can all I could still get it in a landscape orientation and uh, have a fairly long focal length to be able to have the moon be fairly big, a, a pretty decent size in the scene and still get a foreground. And I don't want to lose that. So time is really critical. And that means I didn't check much as far as uh, getting assistance from the best planning thing that helps me decide on this stuff, which is photo pills. I'm going to talk a lot about how I use photo pills through this episode, but I have to rely on my experience for the most part as I'm doing this. So I'm shooting Canon 80D. I have a lot of experience shooting this camera. I'm shooting a lens that I have a lot of experience with too. It's my Tamron 70 to 200 G2 lens. Love that lens. And uh, I was hoping as I grabbed my gear for this impromptu shot, I thought I, I grabbed both of my Tamron lenses because I didn't know for sure that I could get a longer focal length to work. It's like, did the moon rise too much? And I can't get a foreground until I go wider. So I hoped I could shoot with the 70 to 200 crop sensor camera. That's going to be even bigger than that in 35 uh, millimeter focal length equivalents. But I grabbed both lenses and hoped I could make the 70 to 200 work and I could. And so I knew based on experience that to be safe, I should do an after F8. For sure, that would be a really good starting point for landscapes. It doesn't universally mean every landscape picture I'm going to take um, is going to have hyperfocal distance to make sure that the foreground, the, the closest foreground element to the rear of the image has full depth of field and everything's sharp. But it's really good starting point, especially on my crop sensor camera. But I knew by experience... I could have I could have looked up in photo pills and kind of, you know, had it helped me figure it out, but I knew I probably had this hill that I'm I want to have in my scene be in focus is a long ways away from me. It's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of feet from me. And I I thought I probably can open up the aperture a lot more. It's really dark. I want to be able to have a foreground image that doesn't look like daytime, but is it's gonna take a longer shutter speed to be able to, uh, to get this, or I need to, I, I really have a bunch of light I need to gather. I'm going to, I need to, to do that. And so I probably need to open up the aperture quite a bit. I, the lens is capable of 2.8, but that felt a little too open in this case. And so just based on experience, I thought I'm going to try 3.5. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if hyperfocal distance is achieved at that, but I'm going to try that after the fact. So I'm going to, t- <laughs> I'm going to tell you kind of the numbers and how I should have used photo pills if I had time. And if I had planned on doing this, it wasn't a reactionary. I only have seconds to try to get the shot. Um, and all of this is running through my head, by the way, in just seconds, like I know I need to be done in taking shots of both the moon, one exposure for the moon and one exposure for the foreground within the next like minute or two. Uh, that moon is rising too fast and it's going to get out of the scene. I'm going to have to go wider focal lengths and it's going to be a less impressive shot. 
I, I know I have to hurry on this. So most of this is just going in my head in mere seconds. But after the fact, as I'm prepared for the, the episode, I looked it up. I went into the photo pills like I should have been able to do if I had more time. And there is a pill called exposure, right? Or a, it, it's a, it's actually the depth of field pill, sorry. And you, what you do is you put in your camera, you put in your focal length, you put in your aperture, and you put in the kind of the approximate distance of your subject. And it will tell you what the hyperfocal distance is for focus and how much far, so every, and everything behind that focus point is going to be acceptably sharp and everything. And then there's some in front of that focus point that will also be sharp. It turns out with those settings, 165 millimeters, 165 millimeters, F8, and the Canon EOS 80D and the distance, I guessed about a thousand feet away from me, this foothill. Uh, the hyperfocal distance is actually 600 feet. So this hill is further than 600 feet. That probably means I get even better hyperfocal distance at F8. And at F8, if I focused on something 600 feet in front of me, 300 feet in front of that, which means only 300 feet in front of me, would, would also be an acceptably sharp focus. It's a very big depth of field at F8. If I stop that down to 3.5, it changes a lot. Now the hyperfocal distance is achieved at 1,335 feet. So it's like doubled. And that's probably, that might be a little beyond the hill. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'd have to go measure it out to see. But, and at that distance, then the 667 feet in front of me, about half that distance is also going to be acceptably sharp. But if I do anything in front of that, then the focus of the background is not going to be all sharp. It's going to fall off before infinity focus in the back of it. And again, this is more discussion about hyperfocal distance. And so I'm not going to go into more detail there. Go check out my photo taco episode on that topic. But what it means is now that I've looked it up after the fact, yeah, F3.5 is probably just a little bit too opened up on the aperture. My depth of field is probably a little bit too narrow for me focusing on the hill in order to get this shot. It didn't matter because I couldn't focus on the hill anyway, right? It's too dark. I have to focus on the moon. The moon is definitely further away than 600, 600 feet or 1300 feet. And um, it, it might have brought the hill in acceptably sharp focus, but you know, now that I've seen the images after it didn't quite, I needed to stop down that aperture just a little more than F3.5. Um, and, and so that was kind of a bad, it was a mistake. That setting was a little bit too wide open. I kind of learned something from this experience now, but let's move on. I decided 3.5 as in seconds, you know, I'm reacting to my scene. I didn't have time to look it up in photo pills or I would have made a different, better informed decision or taking some more test shots would have been another thing I should have done. But I, I'm now check. I have my aperture shutter speed. What am I going to do? I'm worried about freezing the moon. That's what I need to, I, I'm worried about on both shots. I have a tripod, so I can actually have the shutter speed open as much as I need it to be. But the longer I have it open, that, that moon is moving. And I, I can see it as I'm sitting there trying to frame up the shot, how much it's moving. And I'm just worried that a really long shutter speed for the foreground is going to mean the moon is streaking across the sky. It's starting to show trails. It's going to be hard to kind of control that in a blend in Photoshop and have it work well. I'm really worried about freezing the moon. 
and I'm not sure what shutter speed I should use. So I did spend the time in the moment to pull out the PhotoPills app because I didn't know what shutter speed to use and it's moving. So I could take a test shot, but I, I just wanted to make it more. Inf- I thought it'd be faster to make an informed choice on this. And I knew I could get some information really, really fast. And that's with the spot stars pill in the photo pills app. So I opened that up in real time as I'm taking this shot. I had my Canon EOS 80D as the camera. I put in 165 millimeter focal length and then F3.5 because that's the aperture I decided on. And I always use a declination of zero. It's just the worst case scenario. Not going to explain that in this episode. And the NPF rule, which I've talked about on Master Photography and uh, covered a little bit here on Photo Taco, but I need to probably do a full episode on that. It's It said I should not have a shutter speed slower than 1.55 seconds with those settings in order to get the stars to be spots. Now, I'm not worried about stars. In fact, you can barely see any stars because the moon is so bright. You can't really see the stars. So it's not for the stars that I was looking at this. It was giving, I I needed an idea of what kind of a shutter speed I should use to make sure I freeze the moon. And the, the thought I had was, well, that means my foreground, I probably don't want to go any slower than 1.55 seconds. And to be safe, I'm going to go like half that. I'm going to go 0.6 seconds. That's the slowest I'm going to do in, in, uh, to, to try this. So now I have my shutter speed figured out. Now the ISO. I know there's no way I'm going to be shooting at 100. It's way too dark. I know I don't have that long of a shutter speed. I'm trying to stop down my aperture to 3.5. It's already more open than I, I should have. I kind of knew that in the back of my head. Like, I'm pushing it. And so I know my ISO is going to have to be up there a little bit. And so I decide I'm going to have to meter real quick. Like before I even compose my scene, lock it down on composition, I need the metering so I can figure out what my ISO is going to be. I had my aperture and my shutter speed dialed in. I can just change my my ISO really quick, redo my composition, and take my shots. So I meter on the moon. And I just figured like, yeah, that's going to give me like what I should have for the moon. Oh, no, sorry. It was right next to the moon. I didn't want it to be the moon itself. I wanted it to be the sky next to the moon. This is for the foreground shot. That's what my thought was. So I meter there and I get to an ISO value of 2000. And then I lock in my tripod and I think, okay, time to take a test shot. Like I've, I've thought through this in seconds. <laughs> I checked enough to see shutter speed on the PhotoPills app that to, I thought I'd be able to freeze the moon and that wouldn't be a problem. So now it's time to take a test shot and see what I get. And so I do. And yeah, the foreground image is actually not too bad. I'm pretty happy with the foreground image. And so now it's just a matter of getting the moon to be frozen. And so I quickly enabled the bracketing feature. My thought here was I took my, I figured out with the PhotoPills app what shutter speed I wanted to use. And then I can set the ISO accordingly. Now I need to make sure I, I, I know I've got to increase, like decrease the shutter speed. I got to get a faster shutter speed. I have no idea really what, and I don't want to spend any time trying to like, I don't want to lose time. In between. I just took my foreground picture. I want to go really fast to take my moon picture And I know I'm going to composite. So if it moved a tiny bit, it's okay. I'll be able to reposition the moon. But I I don't want to have to do a ton of that. I want it to be as close to the same as I can get. So 
I decide, all right, what I'm going to do is I'll set a bracketing. I know how to do that really fast with this camera. I'm going to do a three shot, three stop bracket. And then I'm going to do, I'm just going to set it to one two fiftieth of a second. Just took a shot in the dark. literally about what it was going to be and figured if I have bracketing on, that's probably going to cover me. I'll probably like one of the three shots that it takes and I'll have my shots. So I whipped the shutter speed, the dial to change the shutter speed to one two fiftieth of a second. I took my three frames, the camera took the three frames and one of those ended up being a speed of one two thousandth of a second. And it actually kind of ended up perfect. So I ended up with like enough shots to be able to pull things together really quickly that I was actually pretty happy with how things turned out. Now, the ISO is higher than I'd want it to be. Um, I knew I was pushing the aperture and I wasn't sure from the camera if I got the focus good enough on the foreground to have it be acceptably sharp to me. But um, I had a good... I could do something with this. I felt pretty confident I could do something with this. It turns out, and after I looked, brought it on the computer, there's 10 stops of dynamic range in this, between these two images. And so that's that's pretty insane. So I'm really glad I, I knew up front as I was doing this impromptu shot um, that I I needed to take two, two images and be able to merge them together. Uh, I brought them into to Lightroom Classic. I made some modest changes, minor adjustments in the basic panel and in the detail panel dealing with uh, sharpening and noise reduction, so especially because I have an ISO of 2000. There's a lot of noise reduction to deal with and, and to do some good sharpening in the right way. Didn't pro- Obviously, they're different images, so I processed them differently in Lightroom. Um, and then I noticed as I was working on the foreground, yeah, I'm not happy with the depth of field. I'm not happy with how the sharpness of the foreground, it's a little bit soft from what I wanted. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I want to try this again. <laughs> I want to do this again. It, it looks really cool because of the smoke that's in the air. It makes the image a more compelling image because of that. But I could improve the composition. I could improve on the aperture. I could maybe lower the ISO. I could play around with this more. And uh, But I, I finished up the image. I took them into Photoshop after doing the, the adjustments in Lightroom Classic. I uh, selected both and did edit open as layers in Photoshop, which, by the way, just as a quick aside here, Photoshop version 21.2.1, so the most current version as I record this episode, has a bug where open as layers in Photoshop on Mac doesn't work right. It sometimes will pull, if you have only two images, it will sometimes pull both images in as layers like it's supposed to. But for sure, if you have three, four, or more images, it it doesn't. <laughs> it stops. I've seen it go like, th- I, I've selected seven images and to open as layers in Photoshop for a different uh, project. And uh, on my Mac, it will get like three sometimes, four sometimes, two sometimes, and then strand one other in its own document and just kind of stop. There's some kind of a bug there. It works just fine on Windows. The same version on Windows has no problem. But on Mac, it's been an issue. I've had a couple of other listeners tell me the same. 
Um, so if you use that feature, you don't want to use Photoshop 21.2.1. You want to roll back to a previous version. I think 20.0.3 is, is the most stable version right now. Okay, that aside, let's get back into the story of these images. So here's what I did in Photoshop. So I brought them in as layers. I made sure the moon layer was on top of the foreground layer. And then I did, I used the quick selection tool to select the moon and I used the select a mask workspace just to refine it a little bit. It didn't need a whole lot because there's a massive difference in the contrast between the, the solid black background and the moon. And then I copied the pixels to a new layer. So that I did all of that just to get a selection and I could have used layer masking, but I, I liked the ability in this case because the moon moved a little bit between the two frames. I needed to reposition the moon. And so uh, I liked the control I got by selecting the pixels, copying them and pasting them on just the pixels of the moon and none of the background onto a new layer so that I could do, I had an easier time of positioning the moon where I wanted it to be. And then um, <laughs> I have the image in the show notes. It looks silly. It looks ridiculous when I just put the two images together, like just make it so that I have the detailed moon and the foreground. It looks unnatural. It looks totally fake and composited. And you can tell that wasn't the picture that was taken. And it's just because the moon, there's tons of detail there. And the moon um, doesn't look like it could be the source of light. It, it looks actually kind of like I took a sunrise picture and put the moon over it. <laughs> it's what it looks like. Because the, the the moonlight is reflecting off all this smoke in the air. And it makes the, the air look really orange. And uh, it just, it makes it look silly and ridiculous. So I added a, a, a levels adjustment layer to the moon pixels and adjusted it so that the midpoint and the highlight, the white point were, uh, were different from normal. And that made, made it so that it looked more normal. And like that moon was actually the source of all the light in the scene, like it was in real life. And, uh, and there's the final image you can go check, take a look at it's a good image. It's a fun image. I'm really glad I took the shot. I'm really glad I responded to the neighbor's text so that I went and got that image. But like I said, as I was editing, I thought I can do this better. <laughs> I can do this better. And so the cool thing about taking a shot of the moon like that was you you probably get another shot at it. You probably can follow up the next night and have it be almost identical to what you just did. And I knew that would be the case. No storms were blowing the smoke out of the sky, unfortunately. We still have it as I record this episode. It's still there. We haven't had any rain or, or good wind or anything to, to free us from all of this forest fire smoke in the air. And the moon is on the way to the new moon, but it's still very full. So I knew the next night I would have a chance to redeem myself, not have to be reactionary to everything, and actually plan out the shoot I could go and create my creative vision. Now, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I had I came up to a creative vision as I was looking at the scene. I knew I didn't want to just get a picture of the moon, even though it was orange and that would make it a little different. I already have that shot. So it, it made me search for another shot. And I kind of invented a creative vision of something I wanted to do while I was shooting. And I executed and came away with something that was super shareable. It was really fun to have that. And my neighbor thought it was great. And, uh, and it was fun to be able to do it. But 
Now I have a creative vision that is even greater than that with something I want to do. And I'm thinking two things for sure I want to address where I felt like I made mistakes in the first attempt. Composition, we you knew that one was going to be there. I felt the composition was pretty weak and I knew it as I was taking the shot. It would be much better if that moon was closer to the foreground, closer to the mountain, closer to the foothill. If I could get that, that would be, that's a much more compelling. I could maybe even zoom in a bit further and be able to have that, all of that uh, play better. And so composition could absolutely be better and make a, a more compelling image. Then there's focus. I had a hard, a hard time getting focus. It was too dark as I got out there. And there were city lights. I try, I did try a few things. I, I took more shots than I described in that first attempt. But focus was not was an issue. And part of it was because I felt like I was just too wide on the aperture. 3.5 is pushing the boundaries in this specific scenario. And I confirmed that with photo pills later after the fact that, yeah, 3.5 is pushing it. So... I knew I wanted to stop down that aperture some, and I could fix that and probably get things in more focus, more uh, to be happier with the sharpness of the foreground. All right. So I knew I had those two things, two mistakes, I'll call them. I wanted to fix in my second attempt. And I discovered I had a third mistake I made that I, it's a mistake I make a lot (laughs) as I shoot that I'll talk about in, in a little bit, um, as, as we get further along, but planning. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot during my day job the next day. I did this at night. I did a very, very quick processing job at night. I kind of finished it up in the morning and shared it. And it's, I always share stuff in the morning anyway, cause that's when people will see it. So I shared it, but it was on my head, in my head as I was doing my day job. And when finally, when lunch came, I was just dragging on my time at my day job this day because I, I know I can do better at this shot. I'm just thinking about it in the back of my head the whole time. So when lunch rolls around, I, I, I very quickly like, okay, I'm planning to shoot. What am I going to do tonight? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to get a better composition? I need to plan for it. I need to use photo pills to figure that out. How am I going to make sure I do a better job with focus? I, I need to stop down. I don't want the ISO to be as big. There, there are some definite goals that I have with this. And so, um, so I'm, I'm starting with my camera settings. Um, where, what, what kind of camera settings am I going to be? Oh, and I, I used the photo pills app just to see like where I could be positioned, but I wasn't too worried about that because in one day time, uh, the moon was going to rise in a very similar spot as it did the night before. So I already kind of knew the moon was going to be where I wanted it to be, but I did confirm it in, in photo pills. I just not going to go through that part in this explanation. It's, this is already long enough. So camera settings. I learned from the experience the prior night. I knew the moon was still going to rise in a really dark sky. It's it's going to be astronomical twilight again. It's just the way that the the sun is working right now, the you know, timing of everything, it's going to be there. And so I, I know I still have to take two images. There's no way, even if I get there earlier, the dynamic range is going to be too great and I'm going to have to blend two images together, which means I have to be really fast switching from the one to the other as I'm going to take it. I liked the way I used shutter speed to move really quickly and make that happen from the foreground to the moon. But I wanted to change this a little bit. Like I said, depth of field, I want, I want to stop down more. Um, and I don't want to go to ISO 2000. So 
I decided I wanted to stop down to F8 in this second attempt. That's where I wanted to start. I didn't know if it was going to work or if uh, if I would have to open that up more, but that's where I wanted to start. I wanted to see, like, can I do it at F8? And then I hoped I could get kind of a, a lower ISO. I also decided to give myself a bunch of options to choose from and learn a lot faster what exposure settings are working. I was going to use the bracketing on both shots. I used the bracketing to get the moon shot because I didn't know what shutter speed I wanted to have to make sure that I froze the moon. And that was a fast way to get three options. And again, I don't really know in this situation, like I'm planning it, but I don't really know what settings I'm going to use. So I'm planning on, I'm just going to use bracketing for all the shots. Let it give me a whole bunch of options. I can learn faster from those options and hopefully be able to get, realize or or capture the images that I need to create that creative vision that I have with the moon being closer to the mountains and in the foreground. Uh, Super easy to figure out like timing. (laughs) Super, super easy in the PhotoPills app to do that. I didn't know, I I couldn't even remember what time my neighbor had texted me and and when I got out there, I could go look in the metadata, but it doesn't matter. Um, As I'm planning the next day, I know I need to be there earlier anyway, and it doesn't matter what time I shot. That was too late the night before. So it's, uh, there's a pill called the moon pill in PhotoPills super trivial. This is like easy information. Siri probably knows this information. It has, we know the timings of the moonrise and the moonset. It's really easy. And that uh, it shows kind of the the phase of the moon. I was taking this shot on uh, Tuesday, August 4th, 2020. And um, 9.45 PM is when the moon would rise. It would be at zero degrees, like just going above the horizon. If there wasn't any obstacle in the way, nothing on the horizon, blocking the moon. But I have a 10,000 foot mountain in the way. (laughs) It's a really big mountain and it's going to take it a little bit for the moon to rise up over that mountain. So I went to the planner pill in photo pills. And this is a little more involved. I don't want to get into the full details here. If, If listeners are interested in kind of an episode where I talk more about what exactly I do in photo pills, like describing, click this, press here, whatever this means, then let me know if I get enough people to say that they're interested in that. Maybe I'll, I'll do an episode. But in the planner pill, you can drop a location pin. It's a red pin. It's where you're going to be shooting from. And you can drop an obstacle pin. It's a black pin. And you can drop it on like an obstacle to figure out like the height of that obstacle and help you to calculate when the sun will come up or the moon will come up over that obstacle, behind that obstacle and clear it. And so it was really not that hard to be able to see that. It it has a line that the moon is going to travel on that night. And you just kind of find the highest peak that is there on that mountain. Drop the black obstacle pin on that peak. And it tells me, and I have an image of this in the show notes, a 10,600 foot mountain It's a difference in elevation of 5,367 feet from where I'm shooting. And that is a rise in elevation of 2.51 degrees. And the reason that's important is I can then advance the time in the planner pill to the point where the elevation of the moon reaches 2.51 degrees. And that's at 10.02 p.m. on that night. And so that's... 
that's helping me to uh, figure out what time I need to be there. Now, I think I did a good job of finding the highest peak. I, I dropped that obstacle pin all around the mountain range to see kind of where the highest is. And, and that, that seemed about right. It was in the moon. And so that, that's all good. I felt very confident in that, but I want to make sure. So I'm planning, I'm thinking in my head, I want to be there 30 minutes before that. I just want to be there. I can like go over my game plan in my head, have it kind of worked out on what I'm going to do, maybe build some muscle or whatever. I mean, I just want to be there 30 minutes early to make sure I don't miss this. And so I set an alarm on my phone and lunch is over. <laughs> I have to get back to the day job and, uh, and I, I can move on satisfied that I have a plan that's going to fix the, the things I don't like about the shoot I had done in my first attempt. So now let's move on to the execution. Let's fast forward then to when we're getting close to have the moon come over. It turned out I didn't need an alarm on my phone. And I, I, I knew that, but I just wanted to make sure. And it made me feel better. It made it a little easier to focus on the day job, you know, the afternoon I had for the day job, along with like things I needed to do with my family that night, knowing that I had an alarm on my phone. But I was really counting the seconds, really. <laughs> I was watching the clock all day long. Like, oh, it's, I had so many more, so many more hours before I can get out there to shoot the moon. It was just so much on my mind about trying to do this. And, uh, and so I, as the time gets closer, I, I just am checking every hour before it gets there. And I, I put a, a picture in the show notes. I actually went out a full hour before I needed to, um, like 30 minutes before the 30 minutes. <laughs> and I just couldn't wait anymore. I got myself a camp chair. I set up my camera on a tripod and then it, it was kind of nice actually, because I, and I had planned to do this anyway, but I, I used the VR feature, the virtual reality feature in the photo pills app. When you go to the planner and you hit night VR, it's a little button at the bottom, then it, it turns your camera into something that you are like your phone's camera shows the scene in front of you and it overlays on top of it, the elements of the night sky. And then you can fast forward your time a little bit and you can see where the moon's supposed to rise up. And it usually does a pretty good job of predicting it. It's kind of hard to translate that to the the real scene in front of you and have it be exact, but it does a pretty good job of being able to show it. So I did that. So I positioned my camera so it should be pretty close to ready as far as composition goes. That also meant there was enough light that I could get focus and I could focus on that foothill that I wanted to focus on and make sure that I had that. So, so that's there. And, and then it gave me the time to make sure I had uh, my bracketing set up. Um, so I dialed in the settings that I thought I was going to use for the moon. Aperture F8, ISO 800 was what I wanted and then shutter speed, I just didn't know. And this is where I kind of realized I made another mistake in that first attempt. There's no reason I didn't take more images. I didn't click that shutter button more. I got the image. I took, you know, four to 10 shots, something like that the night of that first attempt. But why didn't I take 40 or 50 shots and try different settings? Once I had something I, I felt comfortable was going to work, why didn't I play around more? Why didn't I immediately go like, okay, those will work if worst case, but I don't like ISO 2000. Let's see if we can get that. Let's see if I can increase my shutter speed and take down the ISO. Or I'm not sure. I feel confident that 3.5 is going to give me the depth of field I need on the aperture. Maybe I need to open that or stop that down some more and uh, again, add to the shutter speed and, to, and experiment. And the worst case, I end up with an image I can't use, but I already have one that I felt like I could. 
I gave up too fast on that shoot. I, I could have learned so much more about this scene and it would have informed my second attempt so much more. I made a, a disastrous mistake. Well, not disastrous, because I still ended up with an image in the end result that I like. But I could have done a better job that first attempt to inform my second attempt. And, and I, I, it would have been better. I wouldn't have been scrambling as much. And, uh, and I, I just missed an opportunity there. It's a mistake I, I keep making. I keep doing this where I give up on a shoot too fast. And I don't try more things. I don't uh, try more settings, especially with landscapes. I often come back and get on the computer and I think, oh, it's not quite in as sharp a focus. I wish I'd have done a focus stack here or whatever it is. There's things I regret and I could easily have done in the field if I just thought through them and I, I just gave up too fast. I could easily have tried a few of those things. The moon wasn't moving so fast that I didn't have any room to try a few more. I could have, and it would have helped me be uh, more responsive to the second one. Still, I felt confident that I could figure out what the shutter speed needed to be as soon as that moon started peeking out from behind the mountains. I could use spot metering. I could kind of just adjust the shutter speed. I had my guess of an ISO of about 800 to be able to use. And I had a guess uh, or or I wanted an uh, aperture of F8. I wanted to stop down to try to get as much depth of field as I could so that everything was acceptably sharp. And, uh, And then I thought, wait, you know, I still have like 30 minutes before the moon's supposed to rise over. I can go and actually get the, the exposure equivalents. I know what aperture and I know what ISO I want to shoot. That means I can get an equivalence of what the shutter speed was from my night before and know what shutter speed I should use. So I, I opened up the exposure pill in photo pills, waiting for the moon to rise. No reason not to look it up and, and spend the time on it. I should have thought of this even at lunch when I was planning it, but here I am and I'm thinking about it before. So that's good. So I can do exposure and I can have it calculate the shutter speed. That's the variable I don't know. And I can put in the exposure I used the first night, which I remembered. I just processed the image. So I knew it was F3.5, one two thousandth of a second and an ISO of 2000. And then I can say, all right, I want to shoot with an aperture of F8 and I want to shoot with an ISO of 800. And what then photo pills should I do for the shutter speed? And it said, well, your equivalent exposure is one tenth of a second. And I thought one tenth, huh? I am not super confident that one-tenth of a second is going to freeze the moon. And I looked to see what the three stops would be. I have time. Moon hasn't started yet. So I'm just, you know, intellectually going through this. And if I do an initial shutter speed of one-tenth, then three brackets, or the second shot will be one-eightieth of a second. And the third shot is 0.8 seconds. And this is the exposure for the moon. This is the one where I want the details on the moon. And I just didn't feel confident that that was fast enough. I thought, oh, this feels like maybe the the 180th of a second will work, but that might even be too slow. So 
I'm going to override <laughs> what I figured out with photo pills. And I think I'm going to actually go to one sixtieth of a second. I'm going to have that be the, the shutter speed I'm going to set. And then I figured out what it was going to be. The three shot, three brackets from there would be one five hundredth of a second for the second shot and one eighth of a second for the third shot. And that felt more comfortable to me. Like, okay, I think between those three shutter speeds, I should end up with a, a shot of the moon that is except is is bright enough, but also freezes it in in action, and so uh, so that was my plan. And then I still had like twenty minutes to wait. <laughs> I had the shutter speed dialed in one sixtieth of a second f eight ISO eight hundred. Now I just need the moon to peek its head, peek over the mountain, and uh, take a shot and see where we're at and adjust from there. All right, so showtime comes. A little after 10, I think my first image that I took a picture of was 10.01, which is like, you know, within a minute of what I had calculated or uh, photo pills had predicted. So that was a, a big win. Good job. It helped me gain some confidence in my photo pills skills because I know the app is capable, but the user using the app is, are they, <laughs> am I capable as a user? So I, I did that. I clicked the shutter button and I got my first set three bracketed images. So I'm um, again, aperture F8, shutter 160th, ISO 800. I can't even see the moon. It's not remotely visible. <laughs> and then of course, the second shot is faster than that at one 500th of a second. So of course you don't see anything. And then the third shot, one eighth of a second, which I thought might be too slow to actually get all the detail of the moon. It actually looks pretty decent. That was really close. So I am way off in the shutter speed, I guessed at one 60th of a second. But the third bracketed shot, at least I had thought to bracket and have it show me the results, three shots right there really fast. And um, so I think, okay, I definitely need to, um, to let in some more light. It's not bright enough. I'm thinking the time might be okay as is, but I probably want a full stop more of light. Uh, I probably want it to show up in the first and third brackets and I, the middle bracket probably won't have anything and that's okay, but I, I need it to be brighter. And especially thinking about the first attempt, I had to brighten that moon. It looked silly compositing or blending a moon that is kind of as dark as it was into the scene. And I, I really like to have this be as natural as I can get it. So in camera, if I can get one that's brighter, I'm going to do that. I'm at F8. I feel confident I could open up the aperture a little bit, a full stop of aperture. I think I can do that. So I did. I opened up the, the aperture, a full stop at uh, F5.6 and took another set of shots, another bracket. And now the moon at F5.6 and a shutter of 1 60th of a second kind of barely shows up. It's not very bright, but you can kind of see it there. The 1 500th of a second middle bracket, nope, nothing. And then the 1 8th of a bracket, 1 8th of a second actually looks pretty good. It looks pretty bright, but I think I can get it brighter. But now I notice a second problem now that I've taken this bracket. I have a second challenge, one that I hadn't thought would be as big of a challenge as it is. My creative vision here is to have the moon by the mountain, like just coming up over the mountain. I want it rising over the mountain. So part of the moon should be covered by the mountain. And in just the time it took for me to adjust my aperture and go to uh, and take those three bracketed shots, it's almost entirely cleared the mountain already. That moon is really moving up the sky fast over that mountain. 
And I'm worried now, just seeing that image, I think there's no way I'm going to be ready in time. I still think I need to get brighter on the moon and I haven't even tried anything on my foreground shot yet. I'm going to miss this. It's going to be, it's not going to work. My creative vision is over. And, um, I, but I decided still, I I just want to see what I can get. I want to do it as fast as I can, but I, I'm going to go after getting my moon exposure first, even though I'm probably, it probably means I'm going to miss the shot and it's going to be completely up over the mountain. Uh, I'm going to try it. So now I'm thinking, okay, I need a full stop more, which gets me to F4. Oh, that's pushing it a little, but it's not three, five, three, five is where I was not happy. So F4, it made me wish that I had looked to kind of see what the hyperfocal distance of F4 was, but it's too late. It's moving fast. I have seconds to do this. I need to respond. So I'm going to go ahead and stop, allow, I'm going to open up the aperture, another full stop of light to F4, and I'm going to slow the shutter a third of a stop. That's all I was willing to move. I'm still just super worried about freezing the moon. So I open it up to F4 and I, I um, increase the shutter, decrease the shutter speed by one third of a stop. So now I'm starting at one fiftieth of a second, which is, you can see the moon for sure. And then it goes to one four hundredth where there's nothing. And I knew the middle, I expected the middle exposure was going to be useless. And then the third exposure F four shutter one sixth of a second and ISO 800 totally worked. The moon looks bright enough on the screen. It looks like it's frozen enough with detail. And I think, okay, I've got my shutter speed. I'm going to do my brackets at one fiftieth of a second. And that's what I'm going to do for the moon. Now I need to hurry and move to the foreground. What speed, what shutter speed should I use for the foreground? I really had no idea. There was nothing to go off of for the foreground. I guess I could have tried to do the equivalent uh, exposure pill again with the foreground that worked, but it was eight seconds that I was using. And that just felt like it was too long and, and it was going to be a problem or well, it wasn't eight seconds, but it was, it was, I just was worried. So the moon's moving, it's going really fast. So I decide I'm just going to try one second. It's just a shot in the dark. I mean, kind of literally <laughs> it's a shot in the dark, but one second, it's going to take three shots from there. It'll tell me, I'll, I'll look at the brackets and it'll tell me like, can I use one of these? So I did that, changed the shutter speed really fast to one second and then press the shutter button and let it go. And it took the first two shots pretty quick. And then the third shot, that shutter stayed open. It felt like an eternity that shutter was open. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's way too long. That shot's going to be unusable. That's, that moon is going to be like a big old streak in the sky. But then when I looked at the images, that last exposure actually looked really good. It, it looked like what I needed, actually. A little too bright. It looked too much like daytime and not nighttime. And I, but I could totally reduce the exposure or play around with the contrast and the highlights in Lightroom and, and get that to be where I wanted. So I thought, okay. Uh, one second, I think gives me something to work with here, but now that took me too long. I need to take another exposure where I go between this one second shutter bracket. And then as soon as it's done, I switch over to the one fiftieth of a second bracket and get the two as close together as I possibly can. So I do that, take those shots and I think, okay, I have something to work with here. 
But learning from the mistake I made in the first attempt where I gave up too quickly, I could have packed everything up right there and said, all right, I got my images. I got what I wanted. Now it's time to go like take a look at them on the computer and, and move on. I thought, no, 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 no. I need to see what more can I do here? What more can I change? So I decided to take a look at that foreground shot some more. And I think, what, what would improve the composition of this foreground. And I thought, well, it would be stronger to me if the moon was actually a little higher in the sky. The I could get the landscape, the foothill to be on like the lower third line. And I could get the moon, if I waited for it to rise a little bit, I could get it on the upper third line. And that would probably make a stronger composition. And now that I can't get it behind the moon, I might that might be a stronger composition. So I will wait until it gets there and I'll take those. And in the meantime, I'm going to practice this switch between uh, one second shutter speed for the first bracket for the foreground and a one fiftieth of a second shutter speed uh, for the moon. It's 17 clicks. <laughs> I figured that out as I was doing this. 17 clicks of the dial so that I can get between there. And I practiced it a few times, taking images all along the way, just in case I liked those images better. But I didn't. I decided I didn't really want to play around with the shutter speeds or the aperture or the ISO at this point. I'm pretty happy with the settings I have. Um, I'm pretty confident. I even checked. I had the time. It wasn't much, but I had some time to go. And so I did a, a review of one of the foreground shots and zoomed in on 10x. And I validated that the foreground did indeed look pretty sharp. So I wasn't worried that my aperture of f4 didn't give me enough um, sharpness on the foreground. And so I, I thought, okay, this is going to work. I, I think this is going to be what I was hoping. I mean, not exactly my creative vision because I thought I wanted to have the moon coming up over the mountain, but I think if it gets into that upper third and the, the foothills on the lower third, that might even be a stronger composition than what I was envisioning originally. And so I I ended up waiting. I, I looked <laughs> at the metadata afterwards. It was a total of two minutes and 20 seconds from the very first frame I took that night to the frames where I had the moon in the composition that I wanted was a total of two minutes and 20 seconds. So a lot of what I just described went through my head super, super fast and uh, my responding to it. And it, it probably would have been almost the same experience, but I probably would have captured it near the, the mountain. And who knows, maybe I would have liked that better than this, but I kind of, I really liked where it ended up anyway. So processing wise, uh, similar process as I did with the first attempt, uh, very minor edits in the basic panel and the detail panel and Lightroom classic for both the foreground and the moon. And I'll have that in the show notes. So you can see the details if you're interested and then, uh, brought them into Photoshop, very similar way, brought them in as open as layers, made sure the moon layer was on top of the foreground layer in Photoshop. And then I did, uh, the quick selection tool to select the moon, select a mask workspace to refine that selection a little bit. I copied the pixels of the moon onto its own layer, hid the moon layer, 
And then um, I changed uh, in this one, I liked it better to change the blend mode of the moon pixels to be darker color as the mode that gave it almost the perfect kind of look right from the get-go where the darker parts of the moon photo that I took were all that showed through and the brightness, the natural brightness of the moon that came through in that image kind of shown through. And that makes it look very, very natural. And then um, there was still a little bit of the moon that was kind of too dark um, as far as like the details just still looked a little too defined. So I, I did still add a levels adjustment layer and I changed where the midpoint was so that it would, it would look like I, I wanted. And I ended up with an image I'm, I'm super, super happy with. I'm really glad my neighbor texted me to put me on this journey so that I would take two different attempts at <laughs> capturing or creating an image with the moon. And I, I added a very different kind of looking moon image to my portfolio. And uh, it was so fun to be able to share it. It made it so that it was also fun to talk about it on two podcast episodes now. And I hope that it's something that everyone can learn from, like uh, understanding that having a good creative vision really helps you to be able to see what you want to create or, or leads to a better kind of end product in an image that you're creating. And then also just like everyone struggles with settings, no matter how much experience you've had, I think people struggle with settings or they at least have to experiment and play around the settings. I don't think it happens a lot where um, you can go into a landscape shoot in particular and you can go, well, yep, here's my aperture, my shutter and my ISO, lock it in, take a shot and be like, yep, got it. And we're done. <laughs> I don't think it works that way for almost everybody. They, some photographers may make it look like that and they're really good at it. And I praise those photographers that can get there. But, uh, but I, I really think there's value in everybody understanding like, this is normal. This It's a normal thing to be going through settings and wondering what you can change and how can you improve it and what can I do? And, and don't give up on a shoot too fast. Take some shots, experiment, play around. For me, I had to practice switching between those shutter speeds so that I could get it to work like I wanted. And, uh, and, and all of that went into this. And so I, I think it's just valuable because the final image doesn't tell you that whole story that I just went through. And there's a lot to it. There was a lot that went into creating that image. And uh, I, I just hope that, that it was helpful for all of you to be able to see that. All right, that's that's the end of this episode. I, I hope you enjoyed it. If uh, you want to check out the show notes, that's over at phototacopodcast.com and be able to see a whole bunch of images. I have images of PhotoPills app. I have the images that came from the scene as I was shooting them. I have a whole bunch of stuff there. So go, go and check that out. And then... Um, you can email me if you want to offer suggestions for topics for the show. That's uh, phototacopodcast at gmail.com. And then you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you follow me already, you've seen some of these images that I'm talking about. And that, that might help you in the future as, as I continue to put out episodes that talk about my own experiences. You, you will have seen the images that go and, and know that I'm going to be talking about them. Um, so you can follow me. That would, that'd be great. And, uh, that that's it for this episode. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you again in another month. Views expressed on this program by independent hosts of colors do not necessarily reflect the views of master photography podcast, LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links of work commissions earned. Olay!